from South Bend, Indiana, in the shadows of the Golden Dome. Spoke Street Media and Redeemer Radio Sports bring you Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. You already share their values, why not share in their benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. It's time to get you caught up on all things Irish. Here's John Brock and Angelo DiCarlo. The last time Notre Dame kicked off a game at Notre Dame Stadium, they were 0-2, and many wondered how bad this season was going to go, and then that first half against Cal was really bad too, and then all of a sudden they've got their act together, and one month later the Irish are back at home again tonight at 3-2, and leaving many wondering much more positive thoughts. With Drew Pine playing out of his mind, the Irish eyes are smiling again, but they can all change in a flash if the Irish don't take care of business tonight under the lights in a game they are heavily favored in over Stanford. Welcome to Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. Notre Dame FCU, where you bank does matter. I'm Angel DiCarlo, so glad to be with you this morning on Redeemer Radio and Iowa Catholic Radio. Joined by John Brock, as always. Notre Dame coming off the big win over BYU in Las Vegas. John, Irish still not in the top 25. They should be if they get the win tonight convincingly. Favored by 16 points against the Stanford team that is 1-4. UNLV next week. A lot of fans starting to add up those wins. So is tonight potentially a trap game for Notre Dame? I, I mean, it has it, it walks like a trap game and, and it talks like a trap game, but I don't know that it has that full quack of a track game, trap game because when you really look at it, you're riding the high of those three wins and you definitely could fall prey to that, that high. But at the same time, you already fell prey to a trap game this year at home and you, you – don't have a game really to look forward to on the schedule next. You could look all the way forward. To I mean, Clemson, you have a game, yeah. But but you have a few weeks before that, and so that also lessens the effect of the trap I, game. I, I think, think that's why we've heard we we're not even playing a soundbite from. I think we are actually playing a soundbite from Marcus Freeman later that mentioned rivalry. But you heard that term thrown around here because I think he's tried. He's got to build it up, right? And. This game once was probably a rivalry game over the last 10 years. I'm not sure it really is right now. Stanford is back to being the Stanford of the 90s and 2000s. They're just not very good at 1-4, and four, and and I think that takes away from it a little bit. But, man, there's been grueling matchups over the years well, between those two teams. And I think you look at it, and it's kind of been a, a, a flip-flop. you got Notre Dame yeah. struggling for a few years. you got Stanford struggling for a few years. But surprisingly, somehow seven of the last 11 meetings have – uh, both teams ranked in the top 25. So that adds to the fact that you could argue that it's a rivalry. And this is the just the second time in the last 12 meetings where neither team exactly. is ranked in the top 25. The only other one, the year we shall now mention, 2016. <laughs> I guess we did mention it. Okay, on tap on this morning's show, our Focus on Faith interview with longtime voice of Notre Dame women's basketball, Bob Nagel, the legendary local sportscaster, discusses retirement from the 46th game of the week, the honor of calling a national championship, what it was like to grow up an Irish Catholic from a small town in Illinois, and then moved to Michiana at the age of 11 and rub elbows with the likes of Eric Parsegian. He also opens up about his recent health issues and how faith has guided him through these difficult times. That's next segment. We'll, of course, break down the matchup with Stanford, which has a poor defense and a pretty good quarterback. feel like we've sung this song <laughs> quite a bit over the last few weeks. We'll spend a bulk of time this segment on Drew Pine, including my questions this week to Marcus Freeman and Tommy Reese about which you probably have heard on every podcast you could possibly listen to about if they've got if they've gone back and evaluated whether they made the right choice at the beginning of the season to start Tyler Buckner but let's start with an update on on the injury situation linebacker and captain Bo Bauer out for the season knee injury in practice this week now he had only started two games had been having other lingering issues but he had started on all special teams he's like I only have so many reps I want to give it to you on special teams because this is where I made my name. I think this is a huge blow for the team. He's the vocal and emotional leader. When that guy goes down, that's that's a big factor, John. Yeah, yeah, he definitely has an effect on that team, and we've heard sound bites from him, and he's just one of those guys where you can tell from the second he opens his mouth, you know, he's a leader on that team. He carries himself high, and he brings other guys with him. And not having that guy out on the field helping boost, uh, even if it's not every play, and just having him on the sideline welcoming you when you get off the field and ready to go, that's a tough loss. It's different when he's still gonna be able to do that right but it's still it's different, different when, when he's playing. not actually in the game yeah. right it, it is weird how that 
that mindset changes a little bit when the guy's in street clothes and not wearing a uniform. Yes, very it, much. It's like it's like his cape has come off. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so that's going to be a big blow, uh, certainly for the Irish. Defensive tackle Howard Cross, high ankle sprain, did not play last week, expected back this week. That's big for this defensive line. That's a, a huge boost, especially uh, given that he leads the team in tackles, is mm. tied for the, the lead in tackles. He, he has been a force throughout the beginning of the season getting into that backfield and, and really making tackles. So he's going to be a huge uh, addition back on now, that. Now here's another negative. Tariq Bracey, hamstring, best player on the defense this year. Freeman thinks Bracey can give them something. That never sounds positive when you're dealing with a cornerback and a hamstring against a Stanford defense that has some long wide receivers and or Stanford offense has long wide receivers and a very good quarterback. That's where this game could turn a little bit here because it's not like Notre Dame's depth that cornerback is very strong. Well, and that's where you think Freeman's got to be trying to make the best decision there because you don't want to have to stretch a guy with a hamstring injury uh, at cornerback. That can lead to a, a long pass over the top for Stanford, but he's ultimately going to put who's best uh, at defending in there, and if it's Bracey even with a little bit of a slow, uh, slow start. It's the best they've got. All right, uh, I, I think he ultimately doesn't play. I that that's uh, it's just my feeling that he does. If he plays, he may go up there quickly, but it, I don't think he's giving you much. Yeah. All right, uh, Stanford left tackle Walter Rouse started 34 straight games, and right guard Levi Rogers both out for this game. Offensive lineman Miles Hinton expected back. So, look, we're talking about they've got a pretty good offense, pretty good quarterback, but now a lot of shuffling on the offensive line. That makes things very interesting and maybe an opportunity for the Irish defensive line to take advantage. Well, yeah, their, their quarterback, Tanner McKee, is is a pretty good quarterback, but he, he can't do very much if Howard Cross and Isaiah Foskey are getting to him pretty quickly. So that's going to be a big loss because really the, the whole game starts with that offense and defensive line battle. Yeah, we're going to get to that in a second, but that's a good tease to, you know, the play <laughs> of the quarterbacks at Notre Dame, right? Is it is it the chicken or the egg, you know, and, and we'll get to that one in a second. But let's look at our uh, poll question. How many wins does Notre Dame end up with? It's the same one we've done pretty much all season, but we've seen the variation. Uh, we had 150 votes today, seven or less wins down to now 7%. I mind you after North Carolina, that was at 43%. Eight wins now at 41%. Nine wins up to 35%. Ten wins, 17%. So now, 52% believe Notre Dame is going to win nine or more games. That means you think they're going to either beat USC or Clemson and Syracuse. You're going to win two of those three. <laughs> hey, Syracuse I know, like I know. 17th, okay, buddy? you got to include them in this conversation now. But you think you're winning two of those three and winning out everything else. I like to point out, after the Cal game, 80% of our vote, voters said eight wins or less. Now 52% say nine or more. That's a big swing. That's what three wins will do for you. Yeah, that's definitely – I mean, the swing in momentum that the team is feeling, the swing that the fan base is feeling, it's definitely goes back to that trap game question of where you're looking at it and you're feeling great and everyone's thinking you're going to beat, beat Syracuse, beat Clemson, beat USC, and the team still hasn't necessarily proven themselves on all sides – against a really good team. They beat North Carolina, who had a struggling defense. They BYU had a good performance, but not a great performance. And you're looking at it, and you're wondering if they face a really good Clemson team, are they going to be able to put together all four quarters? Again, so there we go. We start moving ahead, moving ahead. Yeah. and then you, That's what I'm saying. Yeah, you're right, and that's the problem. That's why I asked, is this a trap game? And I feel like I feel like it is. I mean, you're, you're favored by 16 over Stanford. Ooh, by the way, I'll point out, by the way, we're getting all our Stanford preview in now, so the game day sprint's <laughs> going to be a real sprint. Um, they're one and four, but three of their losses against ranked teams. So that makes well, a difference. You say that, but they've had a struggling defense who's only played oh, their one defense stinks. Played one offense their who's been stinks. ranked in the top forty uh -huh. in productivity. So that it's it comes on both sides for yeah, Stanford. Yeah, I, I agree. But it is it's definitely it, it has the aspect of a trap game, but it all depends on what Marcus Freeman and his staff has been able to do in terms of building it up as a rivalry game and reminding the team that hey, we've lost at home already. Don't let it happen. Well, again. it's got the playbook of North Carolina and BYU. The difference though is do you have the same mentality going into this yeah. game as you did in those games? You know what I mean? Um, all right, let's talk about Drew Pine. 
Okay? <laughs> 22 of 28, 79 percent. 262 yards, three touchdowns, and an interception last week. Now on the season, John, 66 of 91, 73% completion percentage, nine touchdowns, two interceptions. That's 73% completion percentage, the seventh best completion percentage in the country. This guy is playing out of his mind all of a sudden. What a different – mind you, those stats, by the way, include the first half of the Cal game when he was just horrible. What a difference we've seen from this guy from that first half of the Cal game. Well, there's no doubt he's been, first of all, improving throughout his time starting the last three games, but also stepping up when it counts and really becoming that leader and that quarterback on offense that Notre Dame has needed. Um, So I'm sure that everyone's happy to see, but he also has had the offensive line has stepped up around him and the the wide receivers, uh, he's been getting some help there. I mean, we saw... Uh, Jaden Thomas doing a great job against BYU. So he's he's done a great job. He's also had a lot of guys doing a great job around him. But I will say, and Michael Mayer. And of course. <laughs> well, we can't be, go without set mentioning He set a bunch of records last week at tight end. But here's the thing. He is wisely figuring out a way to gain the ball to Michael Mayer. I don't know. Maybe Tyler Buckner was just not as accurate to be able to do that. I mean, Pine's hitting some tight windows right now to get the ball to Michael Mayer. He is, and sometimes you're watching and you think he might be hitting too tight of a window to Michael Mayer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but it's working, and and that's the that's one of the differences. And he's got that confidence level. He's got the command of the room. These things matter. These things matter when you're turning to the guy who's the quarterback and you feel like he feels like we're going to get the job done. That makes a difference. Maybe they weren't getting that from Tyler Buckner. I don't know. I'm not saying they didn't, and I don't want to harass a kid that's injured. That's not <laughs> what I'm trying to do here. I just don't know. It's Is the offensive line making Drew Pine better? Is Drew Pine making the offensive line in the run game better? I don't know which way, and it's really hard. It's impossible for us to evaluate that. I just don't know the answer to that. It is absolutely impossible to evaluate, but he definitely added that spark to the team when he came in and and shifted the narrative of the the season. But you got to look at it. They really, the offense needed one thing to fall into place to get things moving. They needed the offensive line to start getting moving or the run game to get moving or another couple wide receivers to get things going. And I think one of those things falls into place. I think, Drew Pine comes in, the offensive line starts playing better. Maybe we heard some sound bites. Maybe it was just that they got that boost to having that new guy behind them. And the running backs seemed to pick it up, and that was a little bit of Tommy Reese figuring it out. So uh, it's really been a combination of factors, but it's definitely set Drew Pine up to, to take advantage of the position he's been put in. Bottom line, all this leads to people wondering in their mind, man, what if Drew Pine was the starter at the beginning of the season? So what the heck? I asked Marcus Freeman that basically this week. Coach, you've mentioned throughout your press conferences over the last few weeks and just did with Eric before the constant need to evaluate everything to see if you guys can improve things. I'm curious in those evaluations, have they led you to your preseason decision to go with Tyler Buckner as number one quarterback and whether or not it should have been Drew Pine from the get-go? No, I don't question that decision at all. Um, that was earned. That was earned through practice, and we made a decision. And, and sometimes the results, you know, can can put a mask over your eyes and cloudy the the process to getting to that decision. And and I know we didn't win those two that game and three quarters that Tyler played, but Tyler Buckner earned the right to be the starter through preparation. Now, Drew Pine's done a, a superb job. And he's done an excellent job at leading his team. And um, he's earned the right, obviously, now to be our starting quarterback and has done a great job with this opportunity. But, no, I don't question our decision in terms of making Tyler a starter to start the year. Okay, that was the right answer and the one you would expect him to give. And that is what people said to me. They're like, what did you expect him to say? Look, it's not my job to give him questions where I don't expect him to give the answer he's supposed (laughs) to give. It's my job to ask a question that people want the answer to. It's his job to answer the question. It's as simple as that. Even if he gives you the answer you expect, that doesn't matter. Now, the question is, should they go back and evaluate their decision processing? I think they should because here's the thing. Marcus Freeman keeps on talking about He didn't mention this about the quarterback situation. This was about other positions in the same press conference on Monday. There are no, there's no such thing as a gamer. 
Okay? He goes, it's it's about what you do in practice to get yourself ready. I don't know. I'm just thinking kind of how you play in the game does actually make a difference. Well, I, I will bring up a few things here. I think you look at how Drew Pine came in and played in that end of that Marshall game and the beginning of that Cal game, and you wonder maybe it, it maybe if it is about how you prepare and practice and how you're getting ready, which is all you have to evaluate on at the beginning of the season. Which is fair. Maybe he wasn't doing that. He wasn't showing that, and that showed in his first, and then he's picked it up and had a, a better – development process so there is that okay so with that said I asked basically this question to Tommy Reese struggling against Cal now playing great football you know let's is is he playing better now how is he playing better let's let's listen how much better is Drew playing now versus maybe in August in camp when he's trying to compete for the starting job and everything like that yeah, I mean, it's it's a hard thing to compare. Um, it's a completely different scenario. I mean, in camp, you're installing, you're doing some things against looks you maybe not, you know, expecting. And, you know, when you get into a game plan week, you're pretty tailored on what you're trying to get accomplished. So it's not probably fair to compare them. Um, you know, credit to Drew for staying the course, for continuing to be hungry and get better through camp, you know, through the first couple of weeks of the season so that when his moment came, you know, he's continued to get himself ready and, and put our – put our team and put himself in a, in a position to have some success. Hard to compare, different looks, not fair to compare. If it's not fair to compare, then why is that how you judge who should be the starting quarterback? Well, that's the only way you can judge who could be the I starting quarterback. And I understand that, but like, don't you need to actually go back to the question I asked Freeman? Don't you need to evaluate maybe the process of how you figure it out? Because you got to make it more of a game situation. Maybe you do got to take the red jersey off, and you got to figure out ways of truly evaluating these guys. By the way, I like to point out, I think they made the right decision in Tyler Buckner being the starter. Yeah. I'm not saying that Drew Biden should have been the starter. Now, if, heaven forbid, COVID hit and let's just say it was a COVID situation and the season ended right now, right? And 2020, and they're going to start back up in January. Well, that's not fair because Buckner's hurt, but whatever. You know what I mean? They're starting back up in uh, next season and you're going. Now I'm thinking Drew Pine should be the starting quarterback. It definitely starts that discussion, but but I think you hear it in, in what Tommy Reese says. You know, they have different situations where they succeed is kind of what I hear there. They have two quarterbacks. Buckner is definitely better at handling all those different situations, handling what's thrown at him. Pine, when he gets into that rhythm and preparation, it succeeds against these teams. But it's really kind of looking at it and seeing what happens with Buckner after the injury and how he can develop. So that's a bigger question kind of going into next season and going into when both of them are healthy. But I think going in terms of before this season, it's a lot more difficult of a decision. And you really, you can't compare too much. The You can't really just look at the stats or just look at how they prepared going into the season. You've got to look at the full picture of, Kind of how they were playing against who they were playing against. Drew Pine started the season. Notre Dame four and one or five and zero. No, you still think they're three and two. I, I think it's a. I think it's an unfair comparison to. to he would have had to beat Ohio State at no, Ohio I, State. I think they would have lost to Ohio State by more. I think they. I think it becomes a Brian well, Kelly like loss in Ohio State, and then they beat Marshall. I don't think they beat Marshall. I think he added a spark after Marshall with a change, and they already had a little bit of a spark losing to Marshall, and I think that's what led them to this 3-0 three, three and run. I think the team still comes in a little bit of sleep against Marshall. Here's, here's how I will also say this, to be fair. I also think if they played Marshall again with Tyler Buckner at quarterback, they win. I agree. So that <laughs> it was an unfair question in a way because I think – 94 times out of 100, Notre Dame wins that game. Just, I, I, that was one of the six. I think that was just the entire team coming into that game uh, asleep after almost uh, pulling something off against Ohio State. And I think, you know, you, you can't know how Buckner would have played if he was healthy now, and you can't really know how Drew Pine would have played if he was in from the start. I, it just, I just go back to this. It's amazing to see. Here's the thing, though, which I understand why they picked him and why uh, Buckner was the starter. Buckner's got the higher ceiling. Yeah. Now, Pine's got the higher floor. And I think we saw, we were seeing the floor of Buckner more so than we were, well, we're probably seeing the ceiling of Pine. You know what I mean? Right now, we certainly were seeing more of the floor. And Pine's ceiling is way better than Buckner's floor. And 
And that's kind of feel like what we've been seeing here in in, in the last – this season. You know, I don't say this often, but I can't disagree with you on that Okay, one. <laughs> there we go. And on that note, uh, we are not going to get to the talk about the Irish defense in this segment, which was our plan, but we'll say this. They came up with a big stop when they needed it the most at the end of that game after not doing it um, two, two possessions in a row. And, of course, we had those question marks, so that was huge. Maybe we'll talk about that at the end of the show. Irish Sports Saturdays thanks Notre Dame Federal Credit Union for underwriting this show. As largest Catholic-oriented credit union in America, Notre Dame FCU serves the church in many dioceses. For 80-plus years, they've put people over profits. NotreDameFCU.com slash elevate your share of their values. Why not share in their benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Coming up, a lot more on the matchup with Stanford. When we return, my conversation with the former voice of Notre Dame women's basketball, the Hall of Famer, Bob Nagel, a great conversation about faith, family, and sports casting. That's next when Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays returns on Redeemer Radio. Locally here in South Bend, St. Joe defeated Marion in a thriller in the Holy War in overtime. And, you know, someone who is well-known for broadcasting those games over the last 30-plus years is Bob Nagel, recently retired from the 46 Sports Game of the Week. Of course, a member of the Indiana Football Hall of Fame and the Indiana Sports Writers and Sportscasters Hall of Fame. He was the longtime voice of the Notre Dame women's basketball team, but also broadcast the games for Notre Dame hockey, men's basketball, and baseball. In fact, he did hockey, baseball, Notre Dame women's basketball, at the same time, in the same year, which is kind of crazy. He has a ton of Notre Dame football stories as well. Graduated from Marion, and that's where broadcasting first came into the picture. Bob's gone through some health issues recently. He opens up about that and about how faith has helped him get through all that. It's just a fabulous conversation, and as Bob will say, a dream story for an Irish Catholic kid from a small town in Illinois to end up around Notre Dame athletics for the bulk of his life. Here's Focus on Faith with Bob Nagel. Bob, thanks for for being with us. Obviously, story career for you in in sports casting. Uh, when you reflect on the time you've had, wh- what was your experience like? The voice of so many athletics here in Michigan, and not just high school, but also Notre Dame. Well, the number one thing that occurred to me is to ask, where did that time go? It's amazing. You know, I was eleven years old when we moved here to South Bend. Notre Dame won a national championship in nineteen sixty six, and a Catholic kid from Ottawa, Illinois, who one day dreamed of seeing the stadium, just seeing it, not on a game day, certainly, just seeing the stadium, uh, wound up working for 46 years covering Notre Dame sports. It just uh, it was a dream come true. It's one of the reasons that you do uh, so many different things and things that say, well, you can't do this and you can't do it. Yeah, you can. I mean, if you really want to do it, you can, and we did. Lou Holtz, who's been a guest on your show, once said that uh, – if you love what you do for a living, you never go to work. I don't feel like I've ever gone to work very much. I've loved what I've done. You know, your fandom started early on as a kid. How how quickly did you become a Notre Dame fan? You know, when I was old enough to know uh, about Notre Dame and being Irish, uh, at halftime we'd go outside in the side yard and reenact the plays that we heard Van Patrick and Al Wester talking about on the broadcast. And, uh, boy, Sunday morning, get back from church, turn on a Notre Dame replay, and uh, got to watch that. And it really, that was the only college broadcast available. Again, a big Irish family. Uh, everybody was a Notre Dame fan. And uh, so to move here, every year before we moved here, we came here on vacation. And uh, my brothers and I crawled over the wall, went down, pulled grass up off the field, which we couldn't do now. <laughs> and... Uh, we took the grass home to Ottawa, and then um, everybody's like, is that really Notre Dame Stadium? Yeah. So we were pretty cool, you know, having that. But uh, just love the idea. I love, just love Notre Dame. So how neat was it then when, when your mom and dad tell you, hey, we're going to actually move over there? Well, for most of well, my sisters weren't real happy about it. You know, they, um, But when he said you're going to be a 25-cent bus ride away from Notre Dame's campus, so I was like, Wow, let's go. We spent all day out there. Went to the huddle, which is now the you know where all the restaurants and everything are on campus there, and uh, go down to play pool. And uh, Rocky Blyer was a heck of a pool player. I mean, they had all kinds of Bob Thomas. They had some uh, guys that hung out there, and uh, we would go out 
when they had practice, they would come from campus and they would walk into the stadium to change. And on the way in there, we would get autographs. Now, when they changed, they had to go over to Cartier Fields to practice. We'd get autographs on the way over there. While they're practicing, we'd go to the huddle and have a burger or whatever, come back. When they were leaving practice, we'd get autographs again. <laughs> Some of these guys would look at you like, didn't I just give you? Yeah, my cousin's sick in Illinois, and he you know, wants to. And then when I got out of the showers and everything, we're coming out of the stadium. Uh, we got autographs again. And we had these little notebooks. We'd fill them up with autographs. Then we'd go back to Illinois and sell them to our cousins and so on for like $5. What was it like seeing the rise of ERA as a as a kid? ERA parked right outside the stadium. There was two trees out there, and he parked his big Ford wagon in between the two trees. And uh, he was just so down to earth. And uh, you could go out there at certain times and see him hitting golf balls out in the parking lot fields, which are now baseball, softball. Really intense about his responsibility of turning the thing around. You know, he, it, this wasn't like, well, if the kids don't play well, we're not going to win. They didn't have any options. You know, he, he really took over. So awesome. In those days, you could actually talk to players. You could give a, you could have a relationship with a coach. You know, now everything, there's walls up around the football program, and I understand why. Yeah. So I remember, you know, going to practice when uh, Lou Holtz was coached in 1994, in 93, we thought we won a national championship, and we lost Aaron Taylor, Tim Ruddy, and Todd Norman. So the following year, the only lineman we had back was Ryan Leahy, and Leahy had a bad wheel. He had a bad knee. And Lou came over in his golf cart one night, pulled his pipe out, sat there, and he says, boy, I'll tell you, Bob, he says, our offensive line is in disarray. I said, Coach, I can see that. He said, let me ask you a question. He says, you got any eligibility left? And I said, well, as a matter of fact, I do. As he drove away, he said, that doesn't surprise me in the least. <laughs> <laughs> so he was uh, he was great to work with. Just uh, there's so many neat experiences that way, and you know, in in all the sports. I mean, I, you think about uh, Dave Poulin being here for hockey, Paul Maneri for baseball, Digger Phelps for basketball when I was doing the games. Muffet McGraw, of course, for 33 years. They all did so many great things that to judge them just by the wins and losses is is not, you know, you won't meet a better guy than Jerry Faust. Did he win? Not as much as we wanted him to, but he won. But he also was just a, a tremendous, tremendous person. Bob Nagel, the former legendary sportscaster here in Michiana and, of course, longtime voice of Notre Dame women's basketball, joining us here on Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays, our Focus on Faith interview. How important was, you mentioned growing up Catholic in a small town, coming to Notre Dame, big family. How important was faith growing up as a little kid in your family? Absolutely vital. Um, went to St. Columba Church back in Ottawa, and it was a big school. I had a nun uh, uh, an aunt that was a nun, and she actually was a sister of mercy with no mercy. And uh, they were tough. Uh, sister Florette was the principal, and I remember getting called in a couple times with the pink slips, you know, you got to go see the principal. And she was just, I mean, you just cowered in front of this woman. And in church, when it was time to kneel, she'd take that ring and go, it was time to stand, she'd go, time to kneel, it's just one. And man, the whole the whole church was up and down. I mean, there was so much discipline that I thought about joining the Marines to get away from it. But um, <laughs> she she was tough. And uh, when my aunt passed away, I went to the visitation up at um, up in Chicago, and just this little woman came out. She goes, "Are you one of the Nagels?" "Yes, sister." She said, "Well, I'm Sister Florette." And I said, "You got to be kidding me." She's about four foot seven. I lived in fear of that woman for, you know, so many years. But uh, went to St. Columba, and then when we moved to Mishawaka, uh, we were right down the street from St. Bavo Parish. And just the atmosphere of having a place to go that you can you can uh, 
count on it. You know, it wasn't St. Columba, but it was St. Bevo. It was Catholic Church, good congregation, good people. We, you know, assimilated ourselves pretty quick. We had six kids in our family, so there was a lot of tentacles out there to make friends and meet other people. And uh, and it was really good. And, I, and there was a, a nun in particular I can remember, Sister John, um, held me after class one time, and she said, you know, you're not, you're not doing good work. I said, well, I'm, you know, getting to work in and I'm getting C's and D's. She goes, you're capable of much more than that. And nobody had ever said anything like that to me before. And uh, so I really spent a lot of time with her learning more about grammar and, and things like that. But uh, one of the skills that really was developed, and uh, she was a big part of that, was writing skills. And as you know, in this business, writing skills are very important. And I always got a lot of credit for that when I was at WSBT, for example. They always said, I love the way you write your scripts. And, you know, uh, so that was that was good. And, uh, you know, then we went from St. Babel to Marion High School and uh, just loved that whole experience when Bob Otowski was our head football coach. And we, we won 29-1 uh, my three varsity seasons. And I did play for a couple of years, but I was my dad was 5'7". And I was 5'2", 180-pound freshman. And I was a 5'2 185-pound sophomore. Had all kinds of talent, don't you think? <laughs> and uh, so uh, Coach Otowski asked me if he said, hey, I need somebody to take care of this videotape equipment. It was all new. And uh, you're going to get killed out there if you, you, know, if you stay out for football. <laughs> I did a game on tape, and they sent, Coach Otowski sent it out to Georgia Tech. They're looking at a couple of our players. They sent the tape back, and they said, send us more on this guy and send us your announcer. So Coach played the tape back, and just for giggles, I had put a microphone in and done some play-by-play. And he, you know, he sat me down. I thought I thought he had said things I shouldn't have said. He said, you know, you really ought to pursue this. You know, something you loved it. You love sports. And uh, you got to pursue this. And then it was a great experience. And the thing was, I was in California. I was in Los Angeles, Poly Pavilion, men's basketball, Notre Dame, UCLA. Just, you know, I called my wife. I said, oh, it's been unbelievable. Went here, went there, met this guy, that guy. How you doing? Well, I couldn't get the car started. But it probably wouldn't have mattered because we have about 20 inches of snow. And I probably couldn't have got out anyway. And it was like somebody hit me with a brick, you know. <laughs> Do you need me at home? And my wife is the greatest warrior you ever met. I mean, she was eager to do anything she could for what I wanted to do. And so when I got back to town, the timing was such that uh, there was a meeting where they wanted me to run for mayor of Mishawaka. And I, are you kidding? I'm doing what I love to do. And uh, they, I told them I said I have to have a list of things that would have to happen, and they did. And I ran. And uh, after losing, I was a zoning administrator for St. Joe County, but I also did the high school games on Friday night, and I did a radio show on Sunday evening. I stayed busy in broadcasting, but for nine years I got to coach T-ball and Little League and all those things that a dad you know, should want to do. And as Lou said, God takes care of stupid people. So uh, 1996, Notre Dame called. Want want you guys to do women's basketball, hockey, and baseball. And uh, so I went back to the station, and I talked to him, and we shook hands and went to work. And, and then you didn't see anybody again for a while because <laughs> if you were doing women's basketball, hockey, and baseball, man, you must have been on the road for quite a bit during the, those years. I can remember my the biggest one was uh, the biggest story was when we, we did a game Wednesday, Notre Dame women's basketball at Georgetown. On Thursday, we were supposed to fly to Alaska, but I couldn't get back to South Bend had time to get on a plane with the team to leave Thursday. So I just flew from Washington, D.C. to Detroit. And then I had to beg my way onto a. I said, you know, I'm just an announcer. I tried to call. I tried to, you know, busy around the holidays, whatever. And I got my thumbs in my pockets, you know, looking pretty sad. She said, well, let me see. Yeah, your seat has been canceled uh, because you didn't make the flight from South Bend. So I really need to get to Fairbanks, Alaska. And uh, so she looked and looked. She, um, she's on that little machine, you know. She says, uh, I do have a seat. Would you mind going first class? 
<laughs> no. No, that'd be fine. So he flew me first class to Seattle, where I was able to pick up a flight, you know, Alaskan Airlines up to Fairbanks. So I did three games up there in Fairbanks, Alaska. Came home. My wife had another suitcase packed for me. We left that morning for San Antonio for a week of baseball. Wow. And uh, that's just, you know, when I look back on it, I said, you got to be kidding. But, man, if you love doing games and you love being part of those teams and, you know, it just – and I had some back. I had a couple of guys that would fill in for hockey or, or basketball once in a while. But I wanted to do as much of it as I could, and I did. You're listening to Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. Bob Nagel is our guest. And, Bob, certainly the the part that you're most famous for in terms of covering Notre Dame was women's basketball. Um, and that must have been such a joy for you to to be the voice of women's basketball for, for so long. There were periods where maybe you stopped being the voice and then you came back and different things. And And you missed out on being the voice of the 2001 National Championship right. game. How much did that make 2018 extra special oh. for you to win that national championship, to be on the call? What was that that weekend like for you? It was a dream come true because I think anybody that ever does Notre Dame sports wants at one time or another to say Notre Dame is national champion. Couldn't wait. Just, you know, so excited. Plus that year it was so different because we had lost four players to knee injuries. So we're not going to win it this year. Holy cow. We did. And uh, Arike Ogombo-Wali was just uh, phenomenal. Uh, Marina Mabry was phenomenal. I mean, the whole team just was really tough. So let's go to the UConn game. And Arike goes, gets the ball. Obviously, we know what she ends up doing. What's going through your body <laughs> as you get to announce that game-winning shot? Seven seconds left to go. Arike Ogombo-Wali, the All-American, drives down to the right side. Pulls up, jump run away, got it! And Muffet and I had kind of the same expression on our face when the ball went in. I was like, are you kidding? Are you kidding? And when Enrique let the shot go, it was, uh, you know, is, is that a prayer? Yeah, but, you know, there's a lot of preparation in that prayer. Yeah. Create that opportunity. And then Enrique hitting another shot. And you get to say those words, Notre Dame wins the national championship. Right. It was uh, one of the best moments ever, uh, obviously. Uh, but when the shot goes up and it goes in, you realize that the dreams of so many people uh, come to fruition. Look at the inbound. Got it to Arike. She goes down the lane, put up the shot. It's on. Oh! Notre Dame is national champions. I think we were up shall we say, enjoying ourselves, maybe a couple of adults, beverages involved, <laughs> till like 3.30 in the morning. And uh, so we had to be on a bus at 6.30. So it was a short night. And uh, my wife had driven down with some friends, and I asked Muffet, I said, can Mary Carroll go back with us on the bus? Yeah, sure, no problem. Because I always had a double seat, you know, the announcer. And so uh, she got to go back on the bus, and... They're getting on board the bus with the with the plaque, you know, the the trophy, and they handed it to my wife, and she got to hold it for like the first twenty miles, and she was just so happy, and so I was so happy because she got to be part of that. When we got back to town, we were met by police and fire department, and there was about six thousand people waiting. They had set up a temporary stage and all that, but again, you were just you know, it's like one of those times you know you're going to spend a week catching up. But for now, oh, that that was just a great, great day, great experience. 2018 ends, and as you mentioned, kind of as high of a high as it can be, and it's not that long after that, you know, the next season becomes really difficult, and health problems start setting in for you, Bob. Yeah. How, and that's continued for you, how difficult have the last three years been for you, and how has, going back to your faith, How's your faith helped you get through these difficult times? There's so many, so many nights. Uh, going back to 2001 to 2003, I can remember standing up and saying, "Lord, Your will be done." So if I'm going to make it, I'll, I'd like to make it. If I'm not, you know, uh, I'm okay with it. And I uh, got through that 
situation. And then uh, with the foot, um, you know, I, I knew I had an infection. I had to, you know, take care of the foot. But I remember being down in Tampa and wearing shoes I shouldn't have been wearing and just being in all kinds of pain. But I, I wanted to be there. I wanted to go to the games and do all the things and uh, limping back to the bus and all this stuff. When I got back to town, uh, I went to see my doctor, and he, as soon as he saw me, he said, take him upstairs. And uh, he did two surgeries that day. I did another one on my back the next day because I had an infection that had spread. And uh, I was in really bad shape. I was out for like 14 days. I had no idea what happened during those 14 days. And afterwards, they filled me in. They said, you know, you're pretty close. I guess you lose perspective on what's the most important thing is your health. And uh, I just thought it was so important for me to be like, they couldn't win without me. I haven't had any rebounds or made any free throws <laughs> and uh, probably should have taken better care of that situation at the time. But um, man, when you do what we do for a living and what you love to do, you don't want to miss out on a situation like that. I can remember, you know, being around, 1988 when they won the football championship and knowing all those guys and going through some great experiences there uh, I was in St. Louis with Digger and the team in 1978 we went to the final four we always thought we'd go back never happened get my knee replaced in November and that's from my doctor said it's from kneeling so much in church that I probably wore it out <laughs> okay maybe not but uh, I'm going to get my knee fixed, and then hopefully uh, what you always want to do when you retire is play more golf. So uh, look out for Nagel next spring. You know, it's like will be a resurrection of, of sorts for the golf game. So looking forward to it and so grateful to everybody that's been a big part, you know, the people at WSPT, uh, WGTC, WHME. Uh, just been so many people that have been so helpful and uh, big part of uh, whatever success I've had. It's uh, it's shared by so many people. Bob, thank you very much. You're welcome, Ange. Thanks. The great Bob Nagel, legendary voice of Notre Dame women's basketball, local sportscaster here, 46 years on the air, just recently retired, and we'll continue to pray for Bob and, and, and for good health and just all around uh, someone we we all have looked up to. Absolutely. He's one of those people he said at the beginning, you know, you love what you do. You never work. And I think he's just the epitome of that. You can hear it in his stories. I mean, he's just a, a great broadcaster. All those little details he works in uh, from his childhood stories there to all the ones when he's been broadcasting. And uh, absolutely just one of those guys when you grow up in South Bend, you're watching sports, Notre Dame sports and local sports, and you just look up to him and, and you see how great he is at telling those stories. Yeah, uh, John, I know you have some personal stories. I do, too. For, when I got to town, first first person outside the WNDU family to reach out and say, hey, let's get you together to meet up with some of the other people in town, media members, was Bob Nagel. Like, he, he just he knew his way to, to help others. Yeah, and the same side as a student growing up in this area. He's one of those people where you're watching games, and then the 46th game of the week, they always have students, and he's always reaching out and and making sure you know what you're doing before you go on air and then helping you out when you are there. So he's uh, just a great guy all around. Uh, Bob Nagel, a great voice of Notre Dame women's basketball and local sportscaster. Great to have him on Focus on Faith. Irish Sports Saturdays is partially underwritten by Indiana Physical Therapy, serving Indiana's physical therapy needs since 1988. With 21 locations, Indiana Physical Therapy continues as an independent therapist-owned company with a heart towards patient-focused care. Indiana Physical Therapy, where people go to get better. Time for a break. When we return, it's our game day sprint to kickoff. We break down the matchup against Stanford. That's next on Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. Hi, I'm Brady. I'm William. And I'm Murphy from St. Joseph High School. I'm Claire. And I'm Ian from Marion High School. Because of Tyrac, students like us get to test drive what it's like to be a part of the broadcasting world. We're the 2022 Redeemer Radio 95.7 Sports interns. Tyrac makes our program roll smoothly. Not only do we gain miles of experience, we get class credit too. For more tires and great prices, visit Tyrac.com. Thank you, Tyrac. <laughs> Thank you. 
Support for Irish Sports Saturdays comes from Tony Letcher of Health Markets, Tony Aprishner at Quinnipiac Catholic Church in Mishawaka, a licensed insurance agent. His services include Medicare, family or individual, health insurance or life insurance. His number is 855-776-2438. His website is tletcher.com. Okay, it's Notre Dame, 3-2 and two in the season, hosting Stanford, 1-4, and 7.30 kickoff at Notre Dame Stadium tonight. 36th all-time meeting. Notre Dame leads 22-13, to just the second time in the last 12 years that these two teams both come in, not in the top 25. The only other year was 2016. Seven of the last 11 meetings feature both teams ranked in the top 25. Stanford's lost four games, but three of them to teams that were ranked in the top 25 at the time of the game. So certainly they may be a little bit better than their record indicates, says Marcus Freeman. The record and the scores do not reflect the team you see. And, and um, they're a talented team. Again, as you look at the the Oregon State game and, and they're up in the fourth quarter and, and, and lose by that touchdown at the very end of the game. And, and they're a team that, that is running the ball extremely hard. Um, you know, they got big, long receivers offensively. Quarterbacks making good decision. You see the freshman come in and, and do some different things with his feet. Um, you know, so they're, they're going to be an offense that, that that's extremely hard to defend. They're, they're running the RPO really, really effectively right now. And so um, the defense will have their work cut out for them off, uh, defensively. You know, they're again, they are a, a physical football team. Um, you know, we've had some things kind of not go their way defensively, but you know, they're a team that plays physical, plays downhill, um, that that's gonna do some different things to present some issues for our offense. And so they're they're a very talented team, well coached. Um, I've always respected the job that Coach Shaw has done um coaching his team, and this team is no different. And so our guys know that we got a huge challenge coming up um, on Saturday night. You know, a rivalry game. They'll be extremely motivated, and uh, you know, our guys have been preparing for the challenge. All right, that's Marcus Freeman on Stanford. Irish defense certainly will have their hands full against Tanner McKee, the quarterback. 63% completion percentage, 1,249 yards passing, 250 yards per game, 10 touchdowns, 5 interceptions. Those wide receivers that he's going to be throwing the ball to, John. Michael Wilson, 17 catches, 352 yards, 4 touchdowns. Elijah Higgins, 19 catches, 215 yards, and a touchdown. And again, maybe no Tariq Bracey for Notre Dame. And that's probably an area Stanford will like to try to exploit. Yeah, and that's where the, that injury can come into play for the game today. And, and there's no question that Stanford offense is, is a passing team. I mean, they, they're out passing their, their opponents by 185 uh, yards uh, on the season and running, they're, they're behind by 372 yards. So they are heavily relying on that pass. And that really could come into play. The only downside for them, of course, is their offensive line is getting mixed up a little bit. But Really, if they can capitalize on that, that can be a real threat against Notre Dame's defense. Yeah, 34-game starter, left tackle Walter Rouse is out. Right guard Levi Rogers is out. They do have one offensive lineman, Miles Hinton, back. So they're a work in progress. On the other side of the ball, clearly Notre Dame has the advantage, which is something a couple of weeks ago you would never say Notre Dame's offense is going to have an advantage. But Stanford's defense is not very good. They've given up 40 points three times already this season, and they've only forced two uh, turnovers. Yeah, it kind of almost sounds like what we were saying about Notre Dame's defense right there at the beginning of the season. They haven't forced that many turnovers. They've been given up points, but Notre well, Dame they didn't give up forty though. They didn't give up forty, but they they gave up a lot against Marshall. <laughs> but uh, they they Notre Dame's defense has improved and it had a lot of guys come to fruition. Whereas Stanford's, you're still looking to 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 see them find that success, and they just haven't. And they haven't really necessarily faced that difficult of offenses. Only one in the top forty in productivity, as I said earlier. It's not quite that defense that really makes you shake uh, when you're an offensive coordinator. Here's how this game becomes a game if Stanford's defense shows up and all of a sudden is stopping Notre Dame because they could score points, and then all of a sudden if Jupine plays like the guy that played against Cal in that first half, suddenly, or somewhere in between maybe is more fair, uh, suddenly this can become a game in, in quickly. What are your kind of keys that you're you're thinking about on this one? Well, I think obviously you look at the guy with the most receptions last game for Notre Dame. They can shut down Mayer and get a little bit of pressure on Drew Pine. They'll be able to slow down Notre Dame's offense. And then, of course, if they can get to those wide receivers and really get the, the passing game going, that could be a close game. Yeah, all right. They're 16-point favorites, though. Uh, what what say you? I don't think they can handle Mayer. I don't think they can handle the Notre Dame offense with how productive they've been the last couple of games. I think Notre Dame's going to put up 38-10. Notre Dame gets the win. 38-10. Wow. Yeah. You know, I hate to be the pessimist, but I said it. You Look, 
I asked, there's a trap game at the beginning of the show, and I think it is. Now, I don't think they're going to lose. I think they'll end up winning by two touchdowns. I've got it 37-23, but I feel like this is the game where Notre Dame fans are going to be really, really annoyed because they are now starting to feel very good about the team, and this is going to be a dogfight for a while. And I think it's going to be a seven-point game for mostly – I think it's going to look like that – not the Marshall game in terms of being behind, but close for like uh, maybe the Cal game, like close the whole way. And you're like, you're like, no, they can't lose this game. And ultimately they, they prevail, but it's going to be a lot closer than you would like. I, I think we've had the Marshall game, the upset at home. I think we've had the Cal game. I think now they've got the momentum. It's a, you know, they're playing late and I think it's going to be a, a little bit more of a, a separation. Except for they're going to be thinking they got it all <laughs> together and then that's why the slip up happens. All right, that'll do it for Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. Notre Dame FCU, where you bank does matter. Thanks to our audio operator today, Zach Smith, as always, for John Brock. I'm Angel DiCarlo. Notre Dame Stanford. First night game at Notre Dame Stadium this season, 7.30 Eastern kickoff. You can watch nationally on NBC. We'll, of course, be back with you next Saturday at 9 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Central here on Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. We close our pregame the same way the Irish close theirs, in prayer. Hi, this is Father Nate Wills. I'm a Holy Cross priest, a faculty member at Notre Dame's Alliance for Catholic Education, and one of the chaplains to the Notre Dame football team. This is a prayer that the players pray together at the end of our pregame mass. Let us pray. Grant, we beseech you, O Lord our God, that we may enjoy continual health of mind and body, and by the glorious intercession of Mary our Lady, may we accept the joys and trials of this life and someday enter into eternal happiness. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Go Irish! This has been a presentation of Spoke Street Media and Redeemer Radio Sports. Thanks for joining us for Notre Dame Federal Credit Union's Irish Sports Saturdays. You already share their values. Why not share in their benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Enjoy today's game. This is Dr. Tom McGovern inviting you to join me and my co-hosts, Dr. Andrew Mullally and Dr. Chris Stroud for Dr. Doctor, airing Fridays at noon right here on Redeemer Radio. Together, we bring a Catholic perspective to medical issues with a focus on the dignity of the human person, body and soul. Don't miss a dose of Dr. Doctor Fridays at noon or listen anytime at Spokestreet.com slash doctor. The high school football playoffs begin Friday and we will be with the St. Joe Indians as they go on the road to Plymouth in our Tyrac Game of the Week. Join John Brock, our high school student interns, and me, Angel DiCarlo, for all the action in this sectional opener. No video stream from us in the postseason, but you can listen to our broadcasts on 95.7 FM at RedeemerRadio.com or on the Redeemer Radio app. Tailgate talk gets started at 6 with St. Joe and Plymouth to follow in the sectional opener Friday at 7 on Redeemer Radio.